highest of heights to the depths of the sea. But David, it says in verse 4, was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So we know that he started at 30, and he reigned for 40 years. He died when he was 70 years old. That's still pretty young. But back in those days, that was a, that was a good, good age. He lived a good, long life. All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable, you place the Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. This is a good measuring point for David's life. Samuel anointed David when he was about 15 years old. And he didn't take the throne until the age of 30. David spent at least 15 years in preparation for the throne of Israel. All total, David reigned 40 years. His 15 years of preparation were not too long compared to his reign. God uses great preparation when the task is great. Psalm 27:14, which was written by David, says, Wait on the Lord, be of good cheer, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We learned through these studies that David was a prime example of waiting on the Lord. Now here's Pastor Rob. The devil would use this issue of vengeance in Joab's heart, certainly against Abner, and also the treachery of Ishbosheth's troop commanders to try and subvert what God had had told that he was going to do concerning David, because God had spoken and said that he is going to have David be the king over all of Israel. He made that proclamation. We'll look at that tonight. And when God has spoken, you can bet all of hell is going to come after it and try to keep it from happening. Because see if the devil can somehow keep David from being king over all of Israel. The devil will have claimed that he thwarted God's promise, thwarted God's will from being done. It's kind of a fool's errand if you think of it. Because if God's will is to... To have it done, guess what? It's going to be done. But see, the devil is not as smart as God. The devil is not as powerful as God. He's a created being. So God has a great advantage over the devil because God alone is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. There's no other being in the universe, including Satan himself, that is none of those things. Those three qualities belong to God alone. His omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. No one else, no other being in the universe has those three. And wouldn't you say that that's a pretty good advantage? And so the devil only knows what God allows him to know, how frustrating it must be for him. But he knows the scriptures. The devil knows the scriptures perhaps better than you and I. He knew the promises that had been made long ago. Through Isaiah, through Malachi. That the Savior would come through the line of Judah. It would come specifically through the line of David. 
The devil knows this. And he tried everything he could to thwart that from happening, to try and keep it from happening, because then he could thwart, in his mind, he could thwart the will of God at that point. Ah, (laughs) but how can you play chess with the one who's already checkmated you before the game has even begun, and that is God. I'm a chess player, and I like to play chess, and usually, if you're, I don't think I'm a, a really good chess player, but um, you, you always want to be three or four moves ahead of your opponent. But God can look at the chessboard as it's already set up and go, I win. <laughs> go ahead and make your moves. I'm, I'm just telling you right now, you're checkmated. You can try the queen's gambit. You can do all the stuff that you want. I got it covered. In fact, I'll even blindfold myself. I'll turn away from the game and let you make a move, and I won't even look at the board. You can do all the moves, and I'll just tell you, move the knight to b4. Move the, the rook to, you know, a6 or whatever, you know. I'll just tell you the pieces. You move them. But guess what? I win. God always wins. He never loses. So which side are you on? What side are you on? I want to be on the side of the one who knows all things. Amen? I want to be on the side of the one who knows me and knows you more than anything. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And I'm so glad because I don't even know my own heart and God knows me. He knows the very words that I'm going to speak. He knows the words that you're going to speak tomorrow at noon. He can tell you right now if he chooses to, to tell you exactly what you're going to be thinking at noon, right on the dot. He can tell you exactly what you're going to eat tomorrow. He can tell you exactly where you're going to be tomorrow. You think you're going to be at work, but you could be dispatched to somewhere else. He knows all things, and I love him for that. But God's word stands, and nothing can thwart God's plans. Amen? Nothing can thwart God's plans. In Lamentations 3.37, what does it say? Who is he who speaks, and it comes to pass, when the Lord has not commanded it? (laughs) No one. When the Lord commands something, it gets done. It gets done. What about in Psalm 33, verses 8 through 11? Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. There is no one that can thwart the plan of God. Even the death of Abner and the death of Ishbosheth, which for all accounts, for, for all accounts, as you look at this, it doesn't look very good for David because all of David's enemies on the other side are dropping dead one by one by murder. And do you think the people of Israel are going to be excited about that? Do you think they're, going to, they're not going to be thinking that David had something to do with this? It's making it now harder for him to get into the place that God had foreordained for him to be in. Does that make sense? He's got a lot of enemies. How is this going to work out when there's all this noise going on? How can he ascend to the throne when there's all this subterfuge and all these murders? But throughout the Bible, we see Satan working against the revealed will and plan of God concerning God's plan, not only of redemption, but also for his restoration of Israel. Just really quickly, and when we look at Genesis 3.15, when it says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, 
Satan thought to pollute the human race using the Nephilim, these fallen angels, uh, interbreeding with the, 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 the daughters of men, whatever kind of weirdness that was. There's a lot to that. Satan tries to intermingle. He tries to thwart this plan, this death sentence, really, on Satan. Ultimately, his head would be crushed. He would be crushed by the seed of the woman. Who is that seed of the woman? It's Jesus Christ. He's ultimately victorious over Satan. But that doesn't stop Satan to try and pollute the human race to keep Jesus from coming, to keep Jesus from doing what God had said that he was going to do. He would also seek to subvert the line through Rahab the harlot and Ruth the Moabitess and even Bathsheba, these three women who were either a a prostitute or a woman who was a Gentile or one caught in adultery. These three women in the line of Jesus? Oh, yes. It's written for us in Matthew chapter 1. God used that, and the devil's going, oh, you can't do that. If he's the son of God, you can't have that kind of thing happening. And God goes, watch me. Watch me do it. Sit back and read it and weep. Read it and weep. And when Jesus was born, who was it that came after? Again, Satan trying to thwart the plan of God. Who was it that was coming after Jesus? He wasn't even two years old yet, and Herod the Great had ordered that all the infants from two years old and younger would all be slaughtered, hoping to catch this one who was going to be born, the Messiah. The devil working through Herod the Great to thwart the plan of God. But was God's plan thwarted? It wasn't. How can you play chess with the chess master? Impossible. Jesus said this of Satan, that he was a murderer from the beginning, that he's a liar and the father of it. And Peter tells us to be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour and Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, to not let Satan take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Just like David, we too have to be cognizant of these things, of the devil trying to subvert God's plan in your life, in the lives of your brothers and sisters. But again, we need to understand that when God is moving and his will and his word is coming to fruition, there will be deception and there's going to be confusion. Back in our text, chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, and this is what the children of, of Israel now are saying to David, Also in times past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one, David, who led us Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall, be, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Well, when did God say that? Write these verses down, and I'll read them to you. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 3. Let me read it to you. This is when Samuel anointed David. Remember, what did God say? The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Notice, reigning over Israel. How long are you going to mourn? How long are you going to sob in your cornflakes when I've rejected him and yet 
One who is better than him, his neighbor, David, I have anointed him to be ruler over my people, Israel. That means the whole entire people, not just Judah, but the entire nation of Israel. How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. There it is. God said that David would reign in Saul's place over all of Israel. These men of Israel are recalling now David's rightful reign over them because God spoke through Samuel the prophet, and it's recorded for us there. And the desire of God is always to have David reigning over all Israel. Do you realize how much was at stake here? To get David on the, on the throne and, and, and think about his progeny. Think about... Uh, Solomon coming after him and all the kings going down, ultimately leading to Jesus Christ. Think of all that was on the line there, all the prophecies that had to be fulfilled, and they were all contingent upon that Davidic covenant that God said that, David, through your seed, through your seed would come a king. It was all riding on David. If I was David, I'd be nervous, a nervous wreck because I'd be thinking, I'm going to mess this up. I know I'm going to mess this up because I'm going to try and do something to make all these promises come to pass. And God says, don't worry, David. Just relax. And that's what the one thing I love about the, the will of God and God's will for your life. You don't have to stress and fuss and fret about it. Just be willing. He is able to get you where he needs you to be to accomplish his will for your life. I know this because he's done it in my life. I'll be honest with you, there were times when I was frustrated and angry. I wanted God's will so bad to be done in my life, I didn't know how to get there. I didn't even know what he wanted. But I wanted it, and I didn't even know what it was yet. And I tried to somehow work out something that I didn't even know yet. And God's like, Rob, just be careful. Just rest. I'll get you there. you got many years to go, but... I'm going to start and just be faithful in what you're doing right now and don't worry about the rest. Well, I can do that. Well, I really can't do that because I'll mess that up too, but I, I, I tried, <laughs> you know. And remember, also Jonathan, the Lord spoke through Jonathan as David was on the run when Saul was chasing him. There was a time that Jonathan met David in the wilderness of, uh, I believe it was the wilderness of Zin, that Jonathan met up with David to refresh him, to encourage him. And it says in 1 Samuel 23, verse 16, it says, Jonathan, Saul's son, arose. He went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, and notice what God spoke through Jonathan to encourage David at this very pivotal time in his life. Jonathan, God speaking through Jonathan said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of my Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be, notice, you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. What an amazing thing. What an amazing encouragement. The word of God being spoken through this, this young man whom David had this great friendship with. And God used even Jonathan to say, David, David, you are going to be the king of Israel. My father is the king right now, but it's not going to last. I know it's you. I know it's you. God's going to do it. Hang in there. Be encouraged. Do you need encouragement tonight? You better raise your hand. 
Because I need encouragement. We all need encouragement, don't we? Be an encourager. Be an encourager to people around you. Love on them and encourage them in the things of God. And, and, and hold your comments and your nasty thoughts to yourself. Take them to the Lord and, 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 say, and, and deal with it at the cross. And speak good things, kind things to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage them in the, in the Lord. And only speak a word of correction when the Lord has given you permission. <laughs> Therefore, verse 3, all the leaders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. It's funny, he's been anointed three times, once by Samuel in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. He's been anointed in Hebron, Hebron to be king over Judah, and now the third time he's being anointed in Hebron over, as king over the whole thing now. And David made a covenant, and many believe that the covenant that he made was what was recorded for us in Deuteronomy 17, where God told the Israelites the, 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 the nature of a king that would rule over them, that he shouldn't multiply wives, that he shouldn't multiply horses. And yet we see David doing the exact opposite. Actually, David wasn't so bad. He had multiple wives, but a son? Oh, my goodness. Not only had 1,700 wives and 300 concubines, but he also multiplied horses to himself. But David was not to do that. But what a happy day it is in chapter 5 when all of these promises come to fruition. For David, it's been a very long, difficult, painful road. Have you had a promise of God that, that God has given you and it's taken years and perhaps even decades and finally it comes to fruition and what a joyful thing that is. I've experienced that myself. Not even knowing how to, how to, how to accomplish it. Lord, I, I can't do this. I don't even know what to do. And again, he's saying, don't worry. I can take care of it. I'm bigger than you, Rob. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad. Because left to my own devices, I would make a mess of things. And David spent years, and God was preparing him during those years. And you've heard me say this before, but oftentimes the greater the work the Lord desires to do in a man or woman, the greater the preparation that is needed. Sometimes it's years. He prepared Moses for 40 years in the desert, unlearning the 40 years of Everything he learned when he was Mr. Fancy Pants in Egypt. <laughs> but David, it says in verse 4, was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So we know that he started at 30, and he reigned for 40 years. He died when he was 70 years old. That's still pretty young. But back in those days, that was a, that was a good, good age. He lived a good, long life. And notice, and the king and his men, they went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, and, and the Jebusites, remember, was one of those people groups that God had um, pronounced judgment against, again, because of their idolatry. So they go up to this uh, Jebus, or Jerusalem, and at the time, the Jebusites, these people that God had cursed, they're living on that temple mount where before there was a temple. And, and so the inhabitants of the land, they spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. 
And so nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And now David said on that day, Whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, I love that, he turns that around on them, he shall be captain and chief. And therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Now when you remember in the beginning, I asked for you to write down First Chronicles 11 because it gives some information that isn't recorded here because the one man who did go up that water shaft, the Gahon Spring. There's a, there's a water shaft that was inside the city. It was encased in, in, in rock, and so you can't see it from the outside, but they would, it was the shaft that they would lower down pails of, uh, and get water and bring it in, and so they were pretty much impregnable, and nobody could cut off their water supply. So they had this great advantage, and so what Joab did, it tells us in First Chronicles 11.6 that it was Joab, his nephew. He was the one who went up that water shaft. And if you go to Israel with us, you'll see that very shaft. Because Charles Warren, back in 18, uh, what was it, um, 1867, he found this shaft where David's nephew had, 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 had gotten up. And, and there's just enough room for a person to where you could probably shimmy up the thing little by little and put your feet against the wall and shimmy up and put your feet up and you could get through it that way without even a rope. And Joab got into the city, and he became captain and chief. And so, that's what happened. (laughs) So why did David attack the Jebusites? It seems like it was an unprovoked attack, but it really wasn't. God had given them into the hand of Israel long ago. They were doomed to destruction, again, because of their idolatry. And it tells us that in Deuteronomy chapter 20, that these were one of the seven nations that God had told the Israelites to go in and kill all of them, to get rid of all of them, to purge the land from them. It says in Deuteronomy 20, verse 16, But the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them. And he lists them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. And, and that's what they were supposed to do. They weren't really faithful at it. And that's partly why Israel, the nation of Israel, got in such trouble. But back in our text in verse 9, it says, Then David dwelt in the stronghold, and he called it the city of David. And David built all around from the millow and inward. The millow was a, um, a, a landfill, basically. And so David rebuilt the city, and he called it Zion, which means monument or fortress. It was the city of David. So verse 10, it says, David went up went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. And then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. And again, when you go to Israel today, you go to this place right to the south of the Temple Mount. In May of 2005, they discovered, just as the Bible has said, and there was excavation. We were there in March of 2005, and they were just getting started and uncovering Zion, right to the south of the Temple Mount. And it's, much of it is uncovered now. And you can actually see David's royal palace. And there's actually um, uh, 
there's, there's stones that they found that were, very, that, were, that were all over the place that spoke of David's dynasty. I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.